Well, well, good morning, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Unraveling the Words of Yahweh. My name is Kevin Eichner. So glad to have you tuning in this morning. Oh, mercy sakes. Hey, we're in, we are in this book of the Revelation, or, or what I like to say, the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah. That, that unveiling, that revealing. And um, we talk about the uncovering, the presentation. It's all about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself. And we just, uh, we're, we're in this chapter 5. This did start chapter 5. And to me, the most important thing is, we have to realize the supernatural that's being done here. While we're down here on earth, there's things happening up in the heavens. John is giving us a great insight of what's transpiring. The sad part about it is Christians just don't seem to comprehend the supernatural. And it's phenomenal. He starts out here in this chapter 5 verse 1 and I, this is John, now keep in mind John is taken in the spirit because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So John is taken in the spirit. If we go back to chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 10, or yeah, chapter 1, verse 10, and I, John, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me the great voice as of a trumpet. That Lord's Day, and we spent some time on that in a prior study. We're not talking about a, 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 a Sabbath. We're not talking about a Sunday. You see, when, when John was talking about the Lord's Day, he's referring to the Lord's Day as, as documented in the Old Testament. The day that Yahweh's wrath is poured upon this earth. John's in this spirit once again. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Think about it. I mean, we, we, got to, we don't comprehend the supernatural ability here. Here this John, allegedly, is on the island of Patmos. And all of a sudden, he's transported. He's changed from a flesh body to a spiritual body. He's taken up into the heavens and he's giving these visions, these insights for you and I. This is phenomenal. But but we just don't, as, as Christians, we just don't comprehend this. He says, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And we talked about this, the one sitting that, that sat on the throne. And we, we last in our last study, we went back into that book of Daniel. But take note of here, in the right hand, the right hand of Yahweh, how awesome that is. This book, in the in the Greek here, it's biblion. It's it's a roll. 
It's a scroll, a writing. Matter of fact, this would uh, this would be an agreement with the ancient form of books and with the writing on the back side. This would be a roll or a scroll, if we may say. The writing on the back implies fullness and completeness so that nothing more needs to be added. Just as John writes there in chapter 22, verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, Yahweh shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book, in this scroll. You see, Yahweh at this point, and when John's is taken up, it's it, it's it's during this tribulation period, the Lord's day. Yahweh has had enough of man's way. The decision has come to put an end of what's happening. I mean, look around us. Look around us. I mean, it's not hard, you, you, it, unless you're really spiritually blinded, to see what's happening, not only in this county, this state, and this state, but across the world. We got these lefties, not the righties, the lefty liberals. Oh, by the way, I'm still waiting for somebody to contact me and explain to me how a Democrat, a liberal Democrat, can be a Christian. I want to talk to the milk thumb-sucking bottled Christians now. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Seriously. You sit there in the pews keeping them warm. Allowing your minister to fall to allow the demonic demonic evil spirits of Satan to infiltrate your church. Well, well, well Brother Kevin, how, how, how do you know that? You don't go to my church. What are you doing? Look, 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 at this, look at this county. Where are the men in the pulpit? A majority of them, especially in the Methodist churches, they're, they're Masonic, Freemasons. Of course, they're not going to speak out against the the deep state of the brotherhood, the darkness. You see, folks, you listening out there this morning, it's you and I. It's you and I that have to go ahead and promote this. We have to talk to these ministers and say, hey, you need to start preaching the gospel because the time is getting nearer and nearer and nearer. We are losing souls to Satan because the the men standing in the pulpit and the women, they're not doing their job. If the, if the leaders of the pulpit are doing their job, we wouldn't have Democrats. Especially those. My hat is off to that uh, bishop out there in California that refused to give Nancy Pelosi communion. We need more individuals. Now, I may not agree with the theology. But I got to agree that we need more individuals like that gentleman to stand up against this Satanism, the dark clouds of evil that are surrounding this county, this state, this nation. We are losing 
John is giving you an insight of what we can expect. And I'll tell you what, if you are a liberal Democrat, you should be shaking in your boots. The role or book appears from the context to be the title deed of man's inheritance. This is a reality. As, as we're fighting a supernatural battle down here against these demonic forces, there's a glorious, a glorious supernatural happening. We see the one sitting on the throne. He's got that book in his right hand. And he is ready to shed it upon us. Are you prepared? You see, Satan knows this. And he's got his demons, his evil ones out there working faster and faster and faster. There's no sense, no reason why we're in this predicament. It all starts at the pulpit. The title deed of man's inheritance, which, by the way, was redeemed by Yeshua Messiah. He redeemed you at Calvary's cross to give you that inheritance that's in this book. And you're throwing it away because you want to follow the worldly ways. Say it. It contains the successive steps by which he shall recover it from the one who seized it. And obtain actual possession of the kingdom already purchased. He purchased this. He purchased you and I. But there's evil supernatural demons going after these evil spirits. That are attaching themselves under the souls. Even under the souls of Christians. I want you to take note something here. No portion of the roll is said to be unfolded in red, but simply the seals are successively opened, giving final access to the contents being read as a perfect whole, which should not be able until every event symbolized by the seals have been passed. Which I believe, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on, and more we get into this, which I believe at the time of this study this morning, we are now between the fifth and the sixth seal. And if we get into this uh, chapter six and seven and so forth, we're going to get into this more in depth. The Lamb shall reveal Yahweh's beneficial plans and redemption in all their manifold beauties. Therefore, the opening of the seals re will remain the successive steps by which Yeshua Messiah clears the way for the final opening and the reading of the book at the visible setting up of the kingdom of Yeshua Messiah. We can compare at the grand consummation there in chapter 22, verse 12. And another book was opened, the book of life. The book of life. Is your name, is your name wrote in that book of life? None, and then we go to verse 19. None is worthy to do to save the land, for he alone as such has redeemed man's fortified inheritance, of which the book is the title deed. The question in the next verse, there is two, is not as calmly supposed. You know, 
In the past, much thought has been spent on the interpretation of this book, Biblion, and what it represents. We got a bunch of idiots out there suggested that this is the history of the Christian church. But I trust, I hope, that our listeners out there this morning are fairly convinced by this time that the church is not the subject of the apocalypse. The subject is the coming of Yeshua Messiah. All you Zionists out there, neither can the book be the the book of the covenant, which has yet to be made with Israel, because the new covenant is in mercy. As Paul writes there in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. While this book has to do with judgment, the judgments are coming upon those that refuse to to accept the King of Kings and the Lord. Well, dear brother Kevin, you don't understand. I, 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 I know Jesus. I got Jesus within my heart. No, you don't. If you are a Democrat liberal, you do not have Yeshua Messiah in your heart. Think about what the liberal. I went and got gas this morning. The liberals did that. I want you to keep this in mind. The the, the stock market, the inflation. Folks, i got a little secret for you. Based on my sources, it's going to get worse. Just give you a little heads up. Y'all want to listen to that senile individual from Delaware in the White House. Shame. Shame on those individuals for, for voting for that lunatic. Shame on the ministers for not promoting the gospel of Yeshua Messiah and what it stands for and allows this filthy trash in their congregations. This book of Revelation talks about the apocalypse, the coming of Yeshua Messiah. He's coming back on a horse. He's coming back with judgment against the evilness that spread across this county, this this state, this nation, this world. Why why should we go out of our way to seek for a far-fetching meaning when we have such plan indications of the word itself of what a sealed book denotes? Matter of fact, Isaiah, salvation of Yah. Chapter 29, verse 11, we read, And the vision of all is become unto you, as the words of that book as sealed, which men delivered to one that has learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read of the great tribulation, which is the central subject of the apocalypse. But Daniel is not permitted to do much more than be made known the fact of the great tribulation out of which Daniel's people, the Jews, were to be delivered. The particulars and the circumstances of that day were not to be known at that time by Daniel. Therefore it said to him there in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book even to the time of the end. And when Daniel inquired there in verse 8 as to what should be the end of those things, the answer there in verse 9, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. You see, folks, the details of the former vision Daniel was told also to seal up. We read there in Daniel chapter 8, verse 26, Wherefore shut up thou the vision, for it shall be many days. Many days. 
John has given us an insight. And I'm going to show you as we get deeper into this book of Revelation where we are already within the seals. That's right. We are already in the seals. And as I get deeper and deeper, I'm going to create, we're going to create charts, you and I together. And I'm going to show you the events and how all these events are parallel here on earth. Before I, I, I move on, I, I just can't help myself. Uh, as many of you listeners know, I, I'm a big fan of the book of Enoch. I believe that this book of Enoch, Yahweh, has given us an insight on what we can expect. In, in this book of Enoch, chapters 85 to 90, we have Enoch's second dream vision where he sees the history of the world to the founding of the Masonic uh, Masonic. Uh, uh, Messianic, I'm sorry, Messianic kingdom. In chapter 86, it tells of the fall of the angels and mankind. Chapter 87 of the advent of the seven archangels. Chapter 88 of the punishment of the fallen angels by the archangels. Chapter 89 of the deluge and the deliverance of Noah. The death of Noah to the exodus. Israel's wilderness journey. Giving of the law and the entrance into Palestine. At the time of the judges, the building of the temple, and the divided kingdom, and the destruction of Jerusalem. At this point, Enoch sees the Lord call 70 shepherds and give to each of some a, a, a sheep. He then calls a man to keep record of how the shepherds treat the sheep. You know who uh, the shepherds are? the pastors, the ministers. Then he calls a man to keep record of how the pastors treat the congregation. That's right. That's why judgment starts at the pulpit. In chapter 89, verses 68 through 71, deals with the period from the destruction to the return from captivity. The cruel shepherds give the sheep to wild beasts. The recorder writes it in the book. And delivers it to the Lord who reads it and seals it. In the second period of the return up to Alexander the Great, the cruelty of the shepherds is again recorded and shown to the Lord. Well, I'm talking to the pastors right now. Should be standing in the pulpits this very morning and making a difference. Chapter 90, the third period of the Greco-Syrian denomination. Enoch sees 35 cruel shepherds, then 23, completing 58 times. The fourth period comes up to the Maccabean revolt, the last assault of the Gentiles on the Jews, and how the Maccabees were given a great sword. The recorder writes the last 12 of the 70 shepherds who have destroyed more than their predecessors. Do you understand that? And delivers to the Lord who then smites them in the wrath. These ministers have destroyed more than the enemy. We're talking about souls. Because the ministers of the pulpit are not doing their job. It's recorded in the book, in the right hand of the one that sits on the throne. In the book of Enoch, chapter 90, verses 23-27, the Lord establishes his throne in the pleasant land. 
the sealed books are opened. And the fallen angels, the shepherds, and the apostates are judged. This scenario shows there was a tradition of historical prophecy where successive eras of time are recorded in sealed books. Matter of fact, the oldest pre maccabean portions of the book of Enoch, chapters 93, and, and we can go to chapter 91, verses 12 through 17, is actually called the Apocalypse of the Weeks and gives a prophetic account of the spiritual view of future historical events up to the time of Yeshua Messiah. We are living in tombless times, folks. Just as Enoch prophesied of the future historical events, so did Daniel. This gives us a precedent for interpreting interpretation of Revelation chapter 1 as the opening of the sealed book of Daniel, which would, on this view, be a spiritual record of historical events transpiring from the time of Daniel to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. We see here, folks. We're in a reality. John is, is taken up for a purpose. That purpose is to show us what to expect prior to the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the churches are too dumbfounded to do anything about it because they're part of the World Council of Churches, the National Council of Churches. Oh, and let's not forget the churches are also 501c3. That's right. They're out there to destroy you. One of the first things Donald Trump did during the COVID thing was shut the churches down. Then we got these lunatic ministers, these TV evangelists like, like Franklin Graham and all these lunatics. Take the vaccine. Take the vaccine. How'd that work out? Pfizer, in, in an over 80,000-page document, has now documented over 1,200 side effects. Walgreens did a study recently showing that 70% of the people that are getting the COVID are the ones vaccinated. The Pfizer CEO just came out this week at one of them World Health Organization said they got this pill. Take this pill. He admitted it that there is a tracking device inside this pill and they can track you when you digest it. Folks, you better wake up. You better start putting pressure on your minister. You go to church, you pay tithes and you pay offerings to hear the truth. And these bumbling buffoons are not giving you the truth. John is giving you an insight of what's getting ready to go down. How many of you people, seriously, how many of you people out there actually read and understood the book of Revelation? I can tell you one thing. I have more people throughout my lifetime 
come up to me with your brother Kevin. Revelation is a hard book. I, I just don't understand all, all, all the symbolism because you never took the time. You never asked the Holy Spirit to come in and help you and guide you. He says here in, in, in the backside, sealed with seven seals. In the Greek there, it means sealed up, firmly sealed. The number seven. Now, I want you to figure that the, when you take the number seven and you look at the four and the three, four, the number of the earth, three, the divine, the trinity, spiritual completeness. Abounds in revelation and expresses completeness. Seven. Thus the seven seals representing all powers given to the lamb. The seven trumpets by which the world kingdoms are shaken and overthrown. And the lamb's kingdoms ushered in. And the seven vials by which the beast kingdom is destroyed. Before I continue on. I want to share with you a thought from Mr. John Gill. I like John Gill because John, he uh, he goes back into the Old Testament. He, he, he brings that Old Testament character into the New Testament. He writes, this book was very much like Ezekiel's role there in chapter 2, verse 9, which was written within and without, before and behind. Indeed, it was in the form of a role. The manner of writings in those times were on sheets of parchment, which, when finished, were rolled up in the form of a cylinder. Hence, a book called a volume. The book seems to have consisted of seven rolls to which was annexed seven seals. And there being not enough room within, contrary to the common way of writing, some things were written upon the backside of the outermost roll. Such writings were Call, uh, by the ancients called opisography and the word used by them sometimes for the very prolific writings. By this book some understand the scriptures of the Old Testament which were written in the rolls. Check out Hebrews 10.5 which came out of the right hand of Yahweh and were given forth by him being written within on the backside may denote the fullness of them. They contain the variety of matter useful, profitable for different purposes or else the literal and mystical or spiritual meaning of some parts of them or as others think the more clear explanation of the books of the Old Testament by those of the New Testament being sealed may signify the authenticity of those writings having the seal of Yahweh's truth and the impress of his wisdom power and the goodness on them also the hidden sense and the meaning of them. They being especially in the prophetical and spiritual part of them. A sealed book to natural men. Of which Yeshua Messiah is the truest and the best interpreter. But then this book was opened and looked into and read. And in some measure understood even by the Old Testament saints. And had been before this time expounded by Yeshua Messiah concerning himself. Yea, he had opened the understanding of his disciples to understand those scriptures. You and I, I want to stop here. Let's keep one thing in mind. Even though the King of kings and the Lord of lords 
even though he opened these eyes up to those 12 disciples, those apostles, you and I today, as believers in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who shedded his blood at Calvary's cross for our souls, we are disciples of him. We are apostles of him. If he revealed it to those 12, he will reveal it to us through the Holy Spirit if we take the time and seek it out. Let's not forget that. If he, we take the time. Henry Alfor, he comments, not consisting of seven writings, each with one seal, but one book, fastened with seven seals, which were visible to the apostles. fascinating the individuals here what we ought to look for at the first thing in the apocalypse which as we have seen has the end of many days the time of the end for its great subject but the unsealing of this book the sealing of which is prominently spoken of in the book of daniel when the time comes for the fulfillment of all that's written in this book then the seals are opened even then Though these seven seals be open, there are still certain things which even John himself has to seal up. Things which the seven thunders uttered there in chapter 10, verse 4. We take it, therefore, that the opening of the seals of this book is the enlargement, development, and the continuation of the book of Daniel, describing from Yahweh's side the judgments necessary to secure fulfillment of all that he has foretold. The opening of each seal has a special judgment as in its immediate result. The role given to Ezekiel was of similar import. He spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there were written therein lamentations, mourning, and woes. Wow. In like manner, the opening of the seals of this book discloses the tribulation and the mourning and woe. But there's more in this book than this. There is also the object of all this judgment. The object is the redemption of the forfeited inheritance. The special importance of this book and all that is involved in it is set forth by its structural outline. Folks, this is a reality. This needs to sink into you. We've got to quit playing church. We've got to get out there and start changing souls. We are losing souls to these demonic forces. We got all look at our television program. The, the television it, it, it's blasted with supernatural. But where are the supernatural characters of the Bible, the Bibelon? Why don't we see them? They continue to show this demonic views, the LGTQB, whatever you want to call it. It's bringing down the values and the morals of this nation because of those so-called Christian Democrats. I got news for you. Those Christian Democrats 
Your actions are wrote in a book. You understand that? That's why I took the time to go into Enoch. To show even the shepherds themselves. This is why. Let me turn here real quick before I get to verse 2. This is why Yeshua Messiah states very clearly. We got to listen. Listen to what's being said. In Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to pick it up verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast in the fire. I want to stop. I want to, you understand that? If you're going to a church where you know for a fact that you got a Masonic pastor, gay, lesbian pastor, this call for what it is, you got Democratic, liberal, socialist, communist sitting in the, in the in the pews sucking on bottled milk. That is going to be casted into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Where John is right now in this vision. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In heaven. In heaven. And John's showing us in this chapter 5. Not only is he in heaven. But John's showing us he's got the book with the seven seals in his right hand. We read in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Revelation. Where he's holding the saints, the candlestick, the churches in his right hand. Many will say to me in, what, in that day, what day? This day of judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will uh, profess on them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The ministers, they shouldn't be making friends to keep their numbers up, to keep their payroll up. But they should be preaching the gospel of Yeshua Messiah. They should be talking about what's happened today. They should be speaking out against these demonic forces that are the darkness. Come on, folks. The darkness is overshadowing the light. Let's face reality. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. That's what's being promoted today. We're in this chapter 5, verse 2. And now we got this John, but take notice here. We go down to the angels. And John says, And I saw a strong angel. It's kuros. Forcible. Boisterous. Mighty. Powerful, strong, proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this book 
and to loose the seals thereof. Wow. Angel, agilos, to bring tidings. It's from the Greek word agilo, a messenger. The words used to call, whose call could reach out to the universe. Proclaiming, kairos, to herald as a public crier, especially divine truth. Who is worthy, he says. He's crying out in the heavens. In the heavens. Who is worthy? Is he, is he, as John is, as John's looking here, now keep in mind, we, we got to go back up and we got to see you got the, you got the, uh, uh, the 24 elders. You got those four beasts from chapter four all up there. And let's not forget another thing. How about all the souls of those saints? Paul said, absent from the body is present with the Lord. All these individuals up there. And this strong angel stands up out of nowhere and says, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? John, I, I want to show you this. I want to show you what's in this book, John. But who's worthy? Who's deserving? Axios. That's the Greek word for worthy. Axios. Deserving. Comparable. Who's suitable? Don't look over the fact that John makes mention of a strong angel. If we conclude that this angel is supernatural, has supernatural strength, then this book must be something very special for an angel not to open it. We're not talking about no wimpy. We're talking about a strong angel. Now, this was not the uncreated angel as Yeshua Messiah, for he is after spoken of as the line of the tribe of Judah and as the lamb in the midst of the throne. But this is a created angel. However, we don't really know who he was. Some say Gabriel because his name signifies the strong and the mighty one of Yahweh or El. It's not necessarily known. Angels are said to be mighty and to excel in strength. This is here called so chiefly with respect to his voice, which he, by reason with his great strength, exerted so loudly as to be heard by all the creatures in the heaven and in the earth and under the earth. However, this was not John the Baptist, but if a minister of the gospel, rather than someone since, making the following proclamation. Who is? Who is worthy? You know, it looks as though there's something more in, in this seven-sealed book than what we have said in the prior verse. There is evidently more in this book than the mere continuation of Daniel's prophecies. There is without a doubt, but there must be that which calls for all these judgments and requires putting forth of all this power. If the book has to do with the whole subject of prophecy, with its causes, and not merely with its consequences and its end, then it may well take us back to the beginning, to which the cherubim already point us, when man was driven out of paradise, when he forfeited his inheritance, and the promise of the coming deliverer and redeemer was given. This is how important this book was. You see the first vision in heaven. 
there in Genesis 4, or I'm sorry, Revelation 4, 5. Takes up the history of man in relation to the throne. At the point where it was left there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. The throne here is set up, but man is outside, unable to still to gain access to the tree of life. Therefore, this proclamation, who is worthy? Who has the right to redeem the fortified inheritance, the lost paradise? Satan is in possession of this world now. He is its Yahweh and Prince. As found in John 12, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11. Paul, as Paul states in Ephesians 2, 2. And such he was able to, in a peculiar way to tempt him who had come to redeem it in the only lawful way in which he could be redeemed. If this is the case, then we understand this proclamation which has so important a place in the heavenly vision. And the inquiry will be that like a Boaz, who will act like the goal, the Goels, or the Redeemer, part of man and for Israel, and recover his lost estate. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, it reads that a sealed book was given in connection with such a translate uh, transaction. Let me go there. I, I really like Jeremiah. Whom Yah has launched. In this Jeremiah. Chapter 32. See if you go back to chapter 31. I'm going to go back to chapter 31 here. I'm going to pick it up at 31. He says here. Well let me go. Let me. I'm going to pick up. Chapter Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to start with chapter uh, verse 29. In those days, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape. And the children's teeth are on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth a sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Listen very carefully. Behold, the day cometh, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand of being them, uh, uh, them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith Yahweh. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith Yahweh, I will put my, my law in, the, in their inward parts. Spiritual. Talking spiritual now. And write it in their hearts. And I will be their Eliahim, and they shall be my people. We're talking spiritually now, folks. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Father, or know Yahweh. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will give them 
I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. That was that day at Calvary. So let's go over verse the chapter 32. I won't pick it up, verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord, Yahweh, came unto me. Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thy uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth. For the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, my, my uncle's son, came to the court of the prison according to the word of Yahweh and said unto me, By my field I pray that this is Antioch, which is the country of Benjamin, for the right of the inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of Yahweh. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Antioch. And I weighed him money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it, took witness, and weighed him the, the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both which was sealed, according to the law and custom, that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Nerah, the son of uh, Masiah, the site of Hanimiel, my uncle's son, in the presence of the witness that subscribed the book of the, the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the, the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith Yahweh Sabbath, the Elohim, the creator of Israel, Take these evidence, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. For thus saith Yahweh Sabbath, the Elohim of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed against this land. Again, in this land. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Nero, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Adonai Yahweh, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power, and stretched forth out thy arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. You see that purchase. And this is what we're talking about, that redemption. This was in that book. This is, this is what Jer uh, Jeremiah was talking about. The evidence is in the book. This, this scroll in the right hand is the evidence of our inheritance. It's ours. It's not Lucifer's. It's not his demonic. It's ours. Those that are willing to stand up and fight for the kingdom of Yeshua Messiah. It was purchased through the, the redeeming blood of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at Calvary's cross for you and I. And we're throwing it away because we're allowing these Masonic ministers, these LGQPT standing in the pulpits, changing the values and the morals that are contained in this Bible. They, you got, you got to keep one. These individuals hate the Messiah. They hate him. 
If they hate them, they're going to hate us. Keep that in mind. Verse 3. And no man in heaven. This is how this is what he's saying now. This 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 cry went out. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. They couldn't even look under. First of all, take note the three different areas where man is. How can some say there's no one in heaven if this isn't true? Why in the world would John write this if this wasn't true? No one, he says. And no one in heaven. You see, folks, this, all we go, this, go, this goes all the way back to the grave, to the sepulcher. You remember when uh, 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 Mary... When she when she went to the, the, the sepulcher crying and she was weeping. And Yeshua Messiah, he, 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 he shows himself. Why weepest thou, woman? And there at a car, then he goes, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended. You see, Mary in the flesh was unclean. If she would have touched the Messiah at that point in history, he would have became un, he would have became unclean, and he wouldn't have been that that great lamb for you and I. That Passover lamb, not an Easter bunny, but the Passover lamb. This is what we're talking about, folks. This is what's happening up in heaven. As we're fighting supernatural down here. There's no saint. Of all the great individuals throughout history. There's not one saint in heaven. Listen to what he says. And no man in heaven. There's no soul in heaven. Nor in the earth. G. G-E in the Greek land. As distinct from waters or earth. As distinct from heaven. He says here. Neither under. Hupokato. Down under beneath. My thought on this is. If Yahweh is in the throne. Which was supposed to be the true north. Then what's the opposite or south. Far from him. There's no one on this earth. We can guess pretty easily who John meant by those in heaven or on earth. Presuming the prophet was talking about humans in the natural realm and the spirits in heaven. But who are those who exist under the earth? Satan comes to mind. It should be obvious why he wasn't considered worthy. However, to the ancient world mind, there were other inhabitants of the spirit realm believed to occupy the space under the earth. John isn't specific in, in identifying who exactly is under the earth. But it's our view that these are the Reformin spirits who plagued Israel at least from the time of Moses and probably much earlier. Does your church even talk about the Rephium? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? 
Isaiah depicts them as the kings of the bygone era now confined to Sheol, marveling that the, the a rebel from Eden had been humble like them. He says here in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning with chapter 9, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirred up the dead, the Rephaim, the fallen one, for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Verse 10. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? You see, folks, we are in a spiritual battle. In his lamentation over the king of Egypt, Ezekiel depicts these long dead leaders of the earth as citizens of the neither world. Although though they appear to occupy, occupy a, a place of honor, separate from the run-of-the-mill dead. In Ezekiel chapter 32, I'm going to pick it up, verse 20. They shall fall in the midst of them that are slain by the sword. She is delivered the sword. Draw her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell with them that helped him. They are gone down. They lie uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Verse 27. And they shall not lie with the mighty that are fallen of the uncircumcised, which are gone down to hell, Sheol, with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities shall be upon their bones, though they were of terror of the mighty in the land of the living. Now, we have to look at this. The term mighty chiefs in verse 21 is derived from the Hebrew El Giborim. They are located in the midst of Sheol. This is apparently a position of status since the graves of the hated Assyrians are set in the uttermost parts of the pit. These mighty El appear to be the under, uh, underworld small g-gods, respected by the pagan neighbors of ancient Israel, called in the Eurogletic dialect the Elim heirs. In other words, the gods of the earth. This is confirmed by the Septuagint translation, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament which shows that the Jewish religious scholars 300 years before the birth of Yeshua Messiah connected the mighty chiefs with the legendary giants of the old, the Rephraim, that's to say the spirits of the ancient giants, the Nephilim. And the giants, will you say, come in the depth of clamor. Then whom are you mightier? And descend and sleep with the uncircumcised in the midst of those wounded by the swords. Verse 27 is even more interesting. The first portion reads thus in the Hebrew. Lo shagyab et gabor nafal arad asher yarad sheol keli milkamah. Did you take notice in the fall, the Nephilim? Some scholars believe that the Nephilim, the fallen, has a mispointed vow. 
and should read Nephilim instead. This would transform the phrase into this. They do not lie with the uncircumcised mighty ones in the Philium, who went down the Sheol with the weapons of war. Once again, the translators of Tuagen had this connection in mind. And they were laid with the giants who had fallen long ago, who descended into Hades with weapons of war. We are talking about those spiritual deities, those demonic entities that even today are still being utilized. That's right. Washington, D.C., what we call Washington, D.C. Mall, Washington, the, the, uh, the Washington Monument. I talked about this before. The Capitol with, with lady, the lady up top there. It's all Egyptian. Once you understand the, and, and the layout. Layout in Kabbalists. The mall is laid out in a Kabbalist. You see, folks, we are even today battling the spiritual. The mighty chiefs of verse 21 and the mighty of verse 27 are linked in Ezekiel's mind with the ancient giants of Genesis 6, the Nephilim, who after death became the Rephraim, the spirits, venerated by the pagan Amorites of Canaan. In turn, the Rephraim of Canaan became the heroes of the Greek religion, the demigods, like Hercules, Theseus, Perseus, Doninus. We see it today. Even today, we, we see all the, the, the Captain Americas, the Thors, the Hercules, the Batmans, the Supermans. These are all demigods. This identification was well known to the Jews in the first century AD, who had been living in a world dominated by Greek and Roman religions. And philosophy for about 400 years by the time wrote, John wrote the book of Revelation. In addition, John was clearly familiar with the prophecies of Ezekiel. The destruction of the Babylon the Great in Revelation 18 draws on the prophecy of the destruction of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 27. And we know in chapter 28 of Ezekiel. And, I mean, okay, and since Ezekiel 28, condemnation of the prince of Tyre is parallel to Isaiah 14, tone of the king of Babylon, it's clear that John knew the prophecy of Isaiah 2. I mentioned Ezekiel because in Ezekiel chapter 28, when you pick it up there at verse 11 and 12, he talks about the king of Tyre. But when you read it, he's talking about Satan. Tyre is due north of Jerusalem. Tyre is the throne of Satan. Right across, parallel, is Hermon, Mount Hermon, where the angels, according to the book of Enoch, where the angels came down and they married the daughters of Eth-Hahadon. These are the ones that we're talking about. However, the point here is to demonstrate that even what may appear to be a, a throwaway line in Revelation verse 3, there, chapter 5, verse 3, under the earth, was based on John's understanding of the spirit realm. Under the earth is where the demonic Rephraim lived. Those who were worshipped as gods by the pagan Amorites, the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And contrary to what most people in John's day thought of, Hercules, Dionysus, or the healing demigod 
Aeschylus, not one of them was found worthy to open the scroll. I look here at America. I, I, I made I, let me, let me, I made comment here about the Washington Monument. Let me, in, in case there's new listeners out there, let me emphasize what's happening down there at Washington Mall. That Washington Monument is a phallus. Let me give you a little history here. The Egyptian phallus was erected because of what happened. You see, Set was angry at his brother. His brother, so he cut his brother's body up into 14 pieces. And I, Isis went looking for it, couldn't find him, went, got the help of Thoth, found all the body parts, but the male organ. So she went to a uh, went to a tree and basically twiddled a branch and boom, sat on it. She got him pregnant. And she was pregnant and she had a son called Horus, the god of the underworld. That's what the Washington Monument is all about. And what that tells you is that Horus, the all-seeing eye on the back of your $1 bill. This is what the, look, you and I might not believe this, but evil, the darkness, believes this. All right? There's a group of individuals out there. Whatever you want to call them, they believe this. On the Capitol Dome sits Lady Capita. That's Isis. The dome represents her belly. When we lay these leaders in the capital, their soul floats up into the dome in the belly of the lady. That soul is then transferred over to the Washington Monument. The phallus. And it's gathered. There in the neither world. Under Horus. Horus. Gives life. To the individual. Laying in that rotunda. This is what we're talking about folks. This is the spiritual battle. That we're going on. Continuing Revelation 5, we encounter more supernatural entities than we need to discuss. Between the throne and the four living creatures are among the elders. I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. There in this verse 6, of Yahweh sent out on the earth. The lamb is obviously Yeshua Messiah himself newly arrived in heaven. The concept of the Messiah as a sacrificial lamb was first expressed by Isaiah, who described Yahweh's anointed one as a lamb led to the slaughter. This is expressed numerous times in the New Testament, most directly by John the Baptist, who said, Behold, the Lamb of Yahweh, who take away the sins of the world, there in John chapter 1, verse 29. The four living creatures are another call back to Ezekiel. 
This time to chapter one, the famous vision of the four wheels within wheels that modern UFO enthusiasts like to mischaracterize as an alien spaceship. As you guessed, these creatures were the cherubim. They were throne guardians of the ancient world. Anyone reading Ezekiel's description of his vision in the 6th century BC would have known immediately what he had seen. A heavenly throne, not a flying saucer. The cherubim stood guard at the entrance of Eden. Their wings shadowed the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, upon which Yahweh was enthroned when he spoke to Moses in the tent of the meeting. Two cherubim of olive wood, each 15 feet tall, with a 15-foot wingspan, stood side by side in the inner sanctuary, with their outspread wings spanning the width of the chamber, guarding the very throne of Yahweh. This is not a job for a, a, a chubby infant's winged or not. Cherubims are dangerous creatures who probably look like winged bull-like phinxes. You wouldn't dare try to, to get past them to approach Yahweh Almighty without receiving permission, which speaks to the status of the land there in Revelation chapter 5. He stands between the throne and the cherubim at the right hand of Yahweh, a position of supreme authority that confirms his status as the Messiah and his identity as Yeshua. Now, I'm going to pick this up. As we continue here, you see, folks, we have to turn our attention to the most important figures in Revelation 5, the one seated on the throne and the Lamb who arrives in verse 6. Clearly, John was describing Yahweh the Father and Yeshua Messiah at the arrival of the Lamb in the throne room of Yahweh. His important clue to the timing of the opening of the seals and the ride of the four, four horsemen. A futuristic view of prophecy would typically be that the seven seals of Revelation chapter 6 have yet to be opened. But see, John is called up to heaven in time to see the mighty angel ask, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Then in Revelation verse chapter 5 verse 6, A lamb that looks as low as though it's been slain appears between the throne and the four living creatures. Yeshua arriving in heaven after the resurrection. If we are still waiting for the first seal to be opened, then nearly 2,000 years have passed with no one in heaven knowing where to find the Messiah. Does that seem logical? No, it doesn't. Especially when the Bible plainly tells us that Yeshua, the Lamb, was at the right hand of Yahweh decades before John wrote Revelation. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of Yahweh, and Yeshua standing at the right hand of Yahweh. So Yeshua Messiah was in the throne of Yahweh by the, by the time of A.D. 35, when Stephen was martyred more than 50 years before John was exiled to the island of Potmost. My view is not typical of the futurists. We believe that Revelation 5 shows us that Yeshua Messiah took the scroll upon their arrival in heaven 40 days after the resurrection, in or around A.D. 32. Therefore, the most logical interpretation of history is that he began opening the seals immediately after taking the scroll from the right hand of Yahweh. My belief that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are riding now. 
In fact, they are most likely being loose in the world for nearly 2,000 years. Their effects are felt by humans in ways of growing intensity. Understand the purpose of this section is not to get lost in details of the history of the spiritual realm on the earth. Our purpose is to show the cultural context what John had in mind when he described the heavenly court of the unseen realm and the creatures who lived there. This is not imagination. It's not a film or a novel. The 24 elders and the cherubim who surround the throne are as real as the Messiah himself. Therefore, it's only logical to conclude that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are likewise real, real entities. As we close out this morning, I want to go to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For it is Yahweh who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh in the face of Yeshua Messiah. As a new covenant servants, we proclaim the light of the gospel of the glory of the Messiah, as Paul wrote, writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. While holding forth this magnificent message, we earnestly pray that Yahweh will prepare darkened hearts to embrace the redeeming light of His grace. Each person who responds will experience a miracle more distinct than when light first shined in the darkness of creation. On the first day of creation, the earth was in darkness. In the beginning, Eliahim created the heavens of the earth. The earth was outformed, two of a boo, void, and darkness was the face of the deep. You see, folks, the Lord spoke light into the existence of the darkness. Then Eliahim said, let there be light, and there was light. By the word of his mouth, he caused light to shine where there had been none. What a majestic miracle. When Yeshua Messiah came to the world, light was penetrating darkness. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. And upon those who sat in the region, the shadow of the death light as dawn. Matthew 4.16 When the light of the gospel of grace is proclaimed, it is shining upon spiritually darkened hearts. Although they knew Yahweh, they did not glorify him as Yahweh, nor were thankful, but became futile in their, their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans one twenty one. When darkened hearts respond to that light, they are given a new life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me should not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8.12 This is what happened to those of us who follow Yeshua Messiah, the Yahweh of creation, who spoke forth physical light in the physical darkness, has spoken forth spiritual light into our spiritual darkness. For it is Yahweh who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts. This light was that shining through the gospel. This good news of Yahweh's grace painted a portrait of the Lord Yeshua Messiah. In the portrait of words, we saw the glory of Yahweh, his great salvation. We saw by faith the light of the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh in the face of Yeshua Messiah. Now, we are, you and I, are called to proclaim this gospel of grace that others also may come out of darkness into this splendid light. You are chosen a generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and his own special people, 
that ye may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord of light, I praise you for bringing me out of darkness into your gracious light. Grant me grace to proclaim your excellencies. Shine your light under the hearts I hope to reach. Grant them the miracle of a new birth, we ask. That new birth in Yeshua Messiah. Father, we realize that darkness is overshadowing the great light. But Lord, with your help, we can turn it all around. Truly we can. We can bring those souls out of darkness and let that light shine upon them. Yes, Father, I realize that this county, this state, this nation, we are in turmoil. But Father, as believers in you, we can change that. We can go out and we can change the thoughts and we can bring and we can try to save as many souls. Yes, Lord, I, I know the book of Revelation. I know it's going to get rough. But Father, we can still bring these individuals out of, out of darkness into the light. Father, I continue to pray for the listeners out there. I pray for their spiritual. I pray for their physical needs, Lord. Lord, as they come to you in the name of Yeshua Messiah, I ask you in that precious name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that you answer their prayers as it is your will. Father, I pray for those that are sick out there, Father, physically and spiritually. I pray that you overshadow them with the Holy Spirit and heal them, Lord, as they can be witnesses and testimonies for your cause, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all things, for everything that you do for us. In that precious name of Yeshua Messiah, King and King and Lord of Lords, took upon himself at Calvary's cross, shed his blood to redeem us, that we have an inheritance to that book. Thank you, Father. In that precious name, amen. Amen.